Welcome to Everyday Sublime, shedding light on yin yoga and meditation. I'm your host, Josh Summers. I'm a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, and also a licensed acupuncturist. This podcast is intended to be an in-depth exploration of the intersections between yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation. In each episode, I will offer a 10 to 15 minute reflection on one or several of these themes. And my hope is that these reflections will support both your practice and or your teaching of yin yoga and meditation. In this episode, I want to talk about the fastest way to fail at meditation, that is to go to sleep, and then consider that this way of failing might just actually be a counterintuitive way of exploring calm and still states in your meditation practice. So let's get started. Okay, in this lesson, I'd like to consider the third of three ways that you might find yourself entering into states of stillness in following this yin approach to meditation that I'm describing. The first way, if you remember, is to just let your mind get into absorption states by getting absorbed in things that it's naturally drawn to. The second way of getting into stillness is to relax and release conflict that your mind might get into in fighting with the hindrances. But this third method is is sometimes seen as the strangest. This entryway into stillness is one of the most maligned meditation experiences I can think of, and that is sleepiness, or as it's traditionally tagged, sloth and torpor. This experience of groggy drowsiness occupies a special place in the basement of suboptimal meditation experiences. For many people, nothing feels like a greater or more monumental waste of time than to find themselves doing the head bob while attempting to meditate. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this phenomenon, think back to an early morning lecture, perhaps in freshman year of college, where you or one of your classmates careens forward towards sleep, pitching forward into the person in front of them, possibly spilling their coffee, or just uncontrollably lolling their head back, mouth agape as though they had become transformed into a drunken Venus flytrap. This image, as comical as it is, is rather close to what it's like for someone trying to meditate under the influence of extreme drowsiness. Their posture flops this way and that, They may come perilously close to crashing forward or to the side or backwards or knocking into somebody. And if you need a laugh and still can't quite visualize what I'm referring to, just Google this, boy monk falling asleep. That's boy monk falling asleep. And you'll soon find yourself watching a little Thai monklet, probably a boy no more than eight years old, in the throes of the very dynamic that I'm describing. So a close second to questions about how to handle obsessive thinking in meditation is the issue of sleepiness in meditation. Questions around sleepiness really rank very high in the list of problematic experiences people have. I'll even go so far as to say I receive questions about sleepiness in every introductory session on meditation that I've ever taught. Nothing seems more anathema to the meditation itself than sleepiness. By that I mean, if meditation is a practice of waking up, sleepiness is the absolute opposite of being awake. If meditation is a means of gaining control of the monkey mind, sleepiness is a painful failure to achieve any composure and influence. In short, 
Sleepiness robs the meditator of anything noble going on in their practice. Sleepiness and sleeping in meditation are the ultimate signs of failure. Compared to the other hindrances, all of the other ones allow some vestige of self-respect. For example, you might be flooded with anger or overcome with a desire or be fidgeting with restlessness or occupied by critical doubt. But in all of those, the sense of a you being respectfully aware and somewhat in control of the dynamics going on, that's nominally preserved. There's still a you that's aware of what's going on and somewhat in control. But that's not the case with sleepiness. In sleepy, drifty states, it's as though you're drugged and you're incapable of exerting much in the way of influence or agency whatsoever. And this is really humbling, to say the very least. This can feel ignoble, and understandably, most new meditators seek a way to resolve the struggle. So just as I went through in the discussion of the hindrances in a past lesson, um, I want to talk about the traditional antidotes that are recommended for working with sleepiness. Classical remedies include opening your eyes or raising your arms for a while over your head. Perhaps you might be told to rub your eyes or earlobes or stand up or do some walking meditation for a period of time or splash cold water on your face or take a cold shower. Then there might be some even reflective remedies, things that you contemplate. I remember a teacher of mine years back suggesting that I contemplate death itself as a remedy for sleepiness. He said, you reflect on the fact that death is certain, but that the moment of death is uncertain. And this reflection is meant to rouse you out of your lethargic complacency and awaken you with a zeal to live fully in the present. Unfortunately, in my experience, this kind of contemplation works sometimes, but it can also lead to a kind of anxiety or even at the end of the day towards the other extreme to insomnia, where I'm just terrified of the fact that I don't know when I'm going to die but I'll leave that aside for now. Either way, you get the idea here. When sleepiness is dominant in your meditation, the general meditative advice is to try to sort it out. I've also received and heard instructions to take a nap or get some extra hours of sleep if sleepiness seems to be directly related to low energy or even get a coffee or two. On one silent retreat I sat, they were waking us up at 3.30 in the morning each day for a long, intensive day of meditation. And by 5 p.m., I was toast. So at the 4.30 afternoon break, I would dash back to my room and pound a cup of coffee to get me through the last few hours of the day meditating, not succumbing to the head bob of sleepiness. So those are the conventional approaches. What I'm about to suggest now as a way of working with sleepiness will likely cause you to question my meditative bona fides or sanity. But for me, and many that I've spoken with and worked with, Allowing sleepiness to be, that is, letting it go on, is actually a very effective strategy for working with it. And in the context of this lesson, by doing so, you might just find yourself inadvertently entering deep states of stillness and calm and peacefulness by specifically not fighting sleepiness. So let's consider how this might be more closely. First off, by allowing yourself to go towards sleepiness, you reduce the likelihood of reinforcing any conflict with the experience of sleepiness. In traditional Vipassana circles, it's said that everything is grist for the mill of wisdom, meaning all experiences are treated equally. One experience isn't privileged more than another. There's no hierarchy of good experiences or bad experiences. Whatever happens in your meditation is the grist for the mill of understanding. But if that's really true, 
then why is sleepiness a problem in the first place? Just like with thoughts, conventional meditation instructions start to compete with each other, where you might be told, allow your experience, but if there is one experience like sleepiness that happens, deploy any of the remedies mentioned above. But in a yin approach to sleepiness, the operative intentions, the way you relate to it, are to be receptive towards the experience, to actually include it in your practice, and to try to generate gentle kindness and tolerance and interest towards it. So while going through this in your meditation practice, there may be periods of time where you might find yourself drifting towards sleep or pitching forward or catching yourself and sitting back and straightening up. This might go on for several minutes, or it might just be a brief nod off here or there. Now, while seemingly indulging this process, you may also find yourself wandering into dreamy states of mind where sort of unusual images or shapes or colors start to appear. That's all okay. Psychologists call these states of consciousness hypnagogic states. These are the states of mind in the neighborhood or the territory around falling asleep. The states of mind that you get into just before going to sleep. And here's why that's so interesting in this context. By fully letting yourself explore these states, by treating them on an equal playing field as clearer and sharper states of mind, you may find yourself settling quite naturally into moments or longer periods of time of quietude and stillness. And this is quite similar to the last lesson. By not resisting any of the hindrances, in this case specifically sleepiness, and by getting to know them more, that in itself might lead you into tranquil spaces. But especially with sleepiness, there's something so soothing and tranquilizing about its very energy. And by, in a way, piggybacking on that energy, you can find yourself making this lateral shift into calmer, more traditional states of stillness and or samadhi. Of course, you might also drift to sleep for a while, especially if you're in a posture where your back is supported. And that's also fine. When you come to and wake up, you can include all that you remember of the sleep and the stages coming into the sleep, stages coming out of the sleep. You can bring all of that into your meditative process and inquiry. So while sleepiness can be another unconventional way of entering into stillness, there's also a kind of wisdom that can be gleaned or extracted from sleepiness. As I mentioned in the beginning, it's hard to see much good coming out of indulging sleepiness. But that assumes that wisdom and learning are only born out of clear mental states. I'll argue here, and in the future, a more full-throated lesson on this very topic, that all states of mind possess the opportunity for learning, especially if we're willing to investigate them with interest and care. To that point, what might someone learn about themselves vis-a-vis -vis the experience of sleepiness? Well, for one, in the variety of states and flavors of sleepiness, someone might start to see how their awareness functions differently in these various states. There's a rather unforgivable tendency, in my opinion, in meditation culture that assumes that a pure awareness more or less functions the same way within all states of consciousness. I'll also unpack this topic in much greater detail later, but let me plant a flag here. For now, you might start to explore and question your own experience directly, especially during sleepy states, and see if your awareness is capable of functioning the same throughout all of them. Is it always sharp and clear while sleepy? Does your awareness feel unchanged by the presence of sleepiness? 
In doing this, you may start to see that the quality of your awareness functions differently at different states. Another aspect of the wisdom component to sleepiness is to see that your own agency, that is your sense of control, changes by the state of mind you're in. Here's why this is important. This realization starts to impart a direct experience of how all phenomena are dependently arisen. In other words, our experience is one large mashup of all sorts of conditions, and all of those conditions exert greater or lesser degrees of influence upon the momentary state of our experience. Seeing this for yourself in meditation and states of sleepiness reveals or starts to reveal how all things are empty of permanent independent existence. Or to use another Buddhist phrase, you are witnessing firsthand your own impermanent and dependently arisen self-nature. Those are just some of the starting points, but the bottom line is this. By not treating sleepiness as the signifier of failing to meditate, you may find a rather easeful way, a relaxed way, to enter deeper states of stillness and calm while at the same time gaining greater insight into the nature of your own mind and body. Okay, I'll stop there for now. And in the next episode of Everyday Sublime, I'll conclude this introductory series of episodes on a yin approach to meditation. In that concluding episode, I'll consider how a yin approach to meditation is really a functional approach to meditation, just like yin yoga is a functional approach to alignment in asanas. I look forward to sharing that with you with insights from my practice to yours. If you'd like to follow along with Everyday Sublime, please subscribe in iTunes. I left a link for you in the show notes, or you can subscribe directly on my site at joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe. Also, if you'd like to study or train in yin yoga with me, check out yinyogaschool.com. That's yinyogaschool.com. Thanks so much for listening today, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.